Good morning, church. Let's quickly open up in prayer. Lord Jesus, we love You so much. And we thank You that Your presence is in this room and there is nowhere else we would rather be. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that You grab a hold of our hearts like James prayed. You grab our attention and You speak to every one of us individually. We don't want to leave here the same without a revelation from You. Please, when You move, I pray I will get out of the way and Your will will be done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. You guys can take your seats. I nearly gave you all an amazing show this morning because I always take those stairs and the font is open. So luckily I did not take those stairs, hey, because I would have been preaching in a wet dress. The Lord is good. But um, I'm excited about our new series. Don't let the enemy take a seat at your table. I think it's such a powerful, powerful topic. And this week we're talking about the battle for our mind. Okay, you guys understand that there is a battle going on for our minds, right? I think in 2023, more than ever, with everything we're exposed to, there's always a battle for our attention, for our thought, and for our minds. But just quickly looking at the topic, don't let the enemy take a seat at your table. I thought we have to talk about awkward table situations. Has anyone here ever been in a situation where somebody has sat down at your table uninvited? Anyone? It happens. You're having a romantic supper and an old acquaintance, you know, normally it's normally Andre they spot and then they come and sit down and it should be like a, like a, a 30 second hello and they're there for a long time and, um, you know, you kind of like going, this is our special moment, but you don't want to be rude and it gets a little bit awkward. I'm sure that's happened to a few of you, not just me. Especially if you, yeah, well, listen, I think Tableview Malpus is a small area. Hey, so everyone knows everyone, but it can be awkward. Um, I have to tell you guys a funny story. I, I'll never forget when I was in, uh, I think I was a second year med school student. I was um, having a very heated argument with my ex, now ex-boyfriend. And um, we were pretty much breaking up. And uh, we're sitting at the cafeteria table over lunch, pretty much breaking up. And this guy, like two years older, with a very low EQ, also a med student, comes and sits down. Starts eating his sandwich, like in the middle of the breakup talk. And um, the, the ex tries to play it cool. And, uh, you know, is acting all friendly and smiling and not saying, dude, we actually like, this is a very serious conversation. So it actually just sped up the breakup, eh? Uh, it was a good thing because I was always meant to be with Andre. So, um, yeah, that, that's my story. And, and then Juliana, oh, my hat. She's 11 now, but when she was two and her baby sister was born, anyone who's got toddlers in the house will know, where's your favorite place to go on a Saturday? Come on. The spur. Thank you. Thank the Lord for the spur if you have toddlers. And we would take Juliana on a Saturday to the spur, and the little two-year-old would play in the play area, Oh, we sit with the newborn and she'd fall asleep and Juliana would play. And Juliana loved chippies. But she didn't understand that we had a table and she had a seat at our table and the other tables belonged to the other people. So we learned very fast to keep an eye on the door because this kid, this is no jokes, would walk out of the play area and spot the, the, the first table with a plate of chippies and walk up and just 
like stick her hand in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, you can't do that. Like, and, you know, luckily she was too small to actually physically take a seat, um, but she would help herself. It was super embarrassing. I was like, she's her father's child. I'm so sorry. I, you know, uh, it's in the genes. But um, she did this for quite a while until she was old enough to understand that you eat your own food at your own table. Okay. But anyway, getting back to the actual topic at hand, um, I wanted to kick us off with um, Psalm 23 because this is pretty much our foundational scripture. So here we go. Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. In other words, for his glory. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now that is a beautiful piece of scripture, right? It's a famous piece of scripture. A lot of us can quote it, but we're going to pick it apart over the next couple of weeks because it has so much power to it. I've grown up being churched. I grew up like as a baby falling asleep under the, you know, the, the, the chairs. Um, I couldn't actually sleep in silence, only noise. Um, real church baby. Um, and hearing this, this scripture as a little good, I thought it was a bit confusing. Like, why would God want to prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies? I don't want to be around my enemies. It's weird. You know, I'm the only one that went there. I'm, I always do this to you guys, hey. It's a rhetorical question. But you go... Why, God? Why are you preparing a a table for me in the middle of my enemies? You know, why not somewhere else? And the reason that God does that is because he knows that you and I are being born into a fallen world. We're born into a messed up, sinful world, and we're going to be surrounded by some enemies. And so we need to learn to have peace. We need to learn (laughs) to be quiet, and to have a refreshed soul, even in the middle of chaos. Amen? Because that's the world we live in. We don't live in a fake heaven. We'll we'll get to heaven one day, but until we get there, the world's a little bit chaotic. And our God's saying, hey, I can give you a table, and you can feast with me in the presence of your enemies. The other reason why that's so powerful, and that just hit me this week while I was prepping, is because, again, it brings God glory. He says, I guide you along the right paths for my name's sake, to bring me glory. Everything we do on this earth is to bring God glory. That's our purpose. Until we get to heaven, we're here to bring God glory. You know, when we are blessed in a crazy world, it gives Him glory. It doesn't give us glory. When, when the financial situation is messed up, but your business is prospering, the glory goes to God. I tell my daughters, when you do well at school, don't get, don't, you stay humble. You give glory to God. He helped you. Every good thing you have, every bit of favor, every right thing you studied is His grace. 
every brain cell you have is from God. When a marriage that seems broken gets put back together, who gets the glory? God. And so everything in this setup is actually pointing to giving our God in heaven glory. That's our purpose. That's what we're here for. So it actually does make a lot of sense, doesn't it? Now, you and I were created in the image of God, weren't we? He created mankind in his image. And so he doesn't want us struggling and limping through life. Yeah, life's going to be difficult. They're going to be challenges, but he doesn't want us to limp and struggle. The Bible actually says that peace is our inheritance. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Peace is our inheritance. And that's why in that psalm it says, um, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I lack no good thing. So I want to tell you this morning, if you are God's child, he wants to set you free from anything that's stealing your peace. You're not, even if the world's crazy, you're not meant to get crazy. Amen? Because God wants to give you peace. Now, this is a church. I always say this as well. We have to be honest in church. And a lot of us are not experiencing this peace, eh? Come on. Like, a lot of us, it's, it's easy to get stressed. It's easy to lose our peace. It's easy to lose our cool. It's easy to think, what's going to happen to my kids? It's easy to get caught up in, in, in world events and, you know, and, and to panic. But God is saying, I want you to live in peace. And so how do we do it? This is what we're going to be talking about today. How, in the middle of our circumstances, do we live in peace? First thing I want to say is that experts say that anybody who becomes successful in life has one common trait. They are able to make course corrections, okay? When I say course, I mean you're riding your bike along a course, okay, or a path, they're able to change their direction. Are you all with me? Right? In other words, any successful entrepreneur or influencer or CEO or anyone who actually makes a success in their life, they have this trait where they go, if I mess up or I fail, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to try again. Right? I'm not going to give up. I'm going to learn from my mistakes and I'm going to fail forward. Are you all with me? So what I'm trying to say is this is a very important um, tool for us to grasp. Failure is part of our growth. You look at sports. Yesterday, Andre and I spent the whole day in, um, in a boiling hot action netball arena because we love our kids so much. And um, they were playing 40-minute games. There's, there's uh, four quarters. And if you're watching an netball team and the first quarter happens and the, and the team's getting smashed, if you're a good coach, you don't look at your team and go, well, you know what? The first quarter didn't go so well, but you know what? I've worked really hard on this strategy, so we are sticking with this strategy. We'll just carry on being smashed. Or maybe in the third quarter, suddenly we'll get better. Is that good coaching? No. What does a good coach do? They are flexible. They go, flip, this is not working, okay? We need a new strategy. We need a new approach, 
right? This team is eating us for breakfast. So what are they doing that's, that's um, you know, taking us out of the game? What's, what, what, what are they doing right, our opposition, that's stopping us? They're doing this. They're doing that. So how do we stop the opposition? And we have a change of game plan. We maybe move our players around. That's what a good coach does, right? Are you with me? And I, I saw it yesterday. They made so many changes. Uh, you, you have to be flexible. You have to be able to, to, uh, to adapt. And God's saying, that's what we've got to be able to do in life. Because we have an enemy and we have opposition. And we are going to hit it at points. And we've got to be able to go, I'm hitting opposition. I need to make a change. I need to, there's a tactic that's being thrown at me. It's hammering me. This is not cool. I need to change. I need to change my habits. I need to change the way I'm doing life so I can get victory. Are you guys with me? So even if you've let the enemy take a seat at your table, which obviously we don't want, the game is not over. Okay? You can change your tactic and get rid of him. Because here's the thing. Jesus has already won the game. We know that. Right? We're on the winning team. And so we've got to actually be in the fight knowing that we're on the winning side. Doesn't that always um, sort of uh, like uh, increase your confidence? Like we know the end of the story. We know how the story ends. We're on the winning side. And he's telling us how we can get breakthrough. He's telling us how we can win the battlefield of our mind. And here's the main strategy. Okay, we're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 6. Um, and this is Paul the Apostle speaking. He says, though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Okay. Practically, what does that look like? Well, firstly, we're talking about our minds and we're talking about thoughts, right? So the first thing we need to do, I'm going to make it practical, is that when a thought enters your mind, we have to identify the thought and decide, am I going to let that thought in or am I going to restrict access, right? Who loves living in Cape Town? Okay, I love living in Cape Town. Andre's favorite corny joke. The only reason Jesus hasn't come back is because God's still working on heaven so he doesn't disappoint Cape Townians. Okay, it's his favorite. We love Cape Town. And every time I go to Joburg or Durban, I'm always like, thank you, Jesus, that I get to live in Cape Town. And one of the things I really don't like about Durban and, and, and Joburg are the toll booths. Oh, hey. We don't have toll booths. How blessed are we? I could go on forever about how blessed we are, but we don't have toll booths. But the thing with the toll booth is the cars all line up, right? And I think you have to, I know everyone was talking about those cards. You either have your card in, in Gauteng that you 
I don't know, hey, do you swipe your card? I wouldn't even know. Some ex-Gartingers would know. And, um, or you pay to, to drive through and use the road. But basically, the person at the toll booth decides if you're allowed to go through or if you aren't. If you've got no money or you've got no card, you can't go through. Are you with me? Okay, so you either get access or you don't, right? So when a thought comes, you decide, is this thought going to have access in my life or not? Is it a healthy thought or is it an unhealthy thought? Am I going to let this thought rent some space in my head? I heard a quote once. It said, be careful what thoughts you let rent a space in your head. See some real estate agents here. It's a cool quote, hey? I thought it was cool. But you've got to decide, no, that's not a thought I'm going to let hang around. Now you might say, but now, Leanne, how do I know which thoughts I let in and which thoughts I don't? Well, the Bible's always our measuring stick, right? The Bi- is this a godly thought? Does it line up with the Word of God or doesn't it? And of course, we're not going to know that unless we're reading from the Word of God, but we're going to talk about that a bit more in a second. Second thing we do when a thought enters our mind, if we decide this is not a thought that's going to help us, we speak to that thought in Jesus' name. Okay? Now, again, I grew up in the church. Now, even being a little girl, my mom taught me to do this. She would say, if that's, I'd say, Mommy, you had this thought. She's like, that's not a good thought. I know. She'd say, speak to the thought. Say, I bind it in Jesus' name. And as a little girl, I was like, that is so weird. Like, it sounds weird, speaking to a thought. Just me? You guys agree? You can feel weird speaking to a thought, hey? But the Bible tells us to do it, and it's powerful. And I've grown up, and I'm telling my own kids to do it. And, it, and you guys need to do it. Please listen to me today. If a thought comes into your head, and it's not from God, the Word of God says it's not a godly thought, you speak to that thought, and you say, I bind that thought in Jesus' name. You have no power and no authority over my life. It's that simple. That's not weird. It's not freaky. It's just simple. That's it. And then the thought doesn't have any power over your life. Now, you might go, why? Why is that? Just a word, a sentence. How can that be powerful? It's not the sentence that's powerful. It's the fact that we are speaking to it in the name of Jesus. That is the name that carries all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth. And remember, if you are a child of God, if you've given your life to Jesus, you carry the authority of Jesus in your life. That is huge. I don't think we realize that. We walk around, we don't realize the authority that we carry as children of God. Like, I've got children. They live in my house. Um, the house actually belongs to my husband and I. Our names are on the, I don't know, the ownership papers, or I suppose the bank's names until we paid off our bond. But it's our house, right? But if an unwanted guest arrives in the house and my girls say, you need to leave, they've got the authority, right? Because they are my children. So they have the authority to say, you can't stay because it's their house too, because they're my children and I've given them the authority. Are you with me? Do they have the authority to write scripts? No. Some of you look worried for a second. 
Definitely not. They never will. My mom thinks she does. I hide my script pads from her. She always says she's Dr. Jenny. So if she offers you an antibiotic, say no. But you are with me. My children get an authority from me as my children. Are you with me? When you're a child of God, you have the authority that comes with the name of Jesus. So when you say, I bind that thought in Jesus' name, it loses its power. And so you need to speak to that thought. So an example, you wake up and you go, you've, the thought pops into your head, Leanne, you're a loser. You're going to have a terrible day. Like, um, you suck. Why are you even doing this life? I go, okay, that thought, is that a thought that lines up with the Bible? No. Am I going to let that thought in? No. So what am I going to do to that thought? I'm going to bind it in Jesus' name. It has no power in my life. It's not going to make me feel sad or depressed. And I'm going to move along. Are you guys with me? And I know that this happens to everyone. Thoughts pop into our heads. And we have to fight them. Thirdly, if a thought has entered our mind and it's not the truth, we have to then claim the truth. Right? So Jesus has taught us the Word of God is not only our measuring stick to is this thought a thought we allow in, but it's also the weapon that we use to stop the enemy's attacks. Right? Because he's always going to lie He's always going to try and trick. He's always up to something. I don't, want to, I don't want to jump around too much here. But you've got to understand that the enemy is not going to tell you a lie. Like he didn't go up to Adam and Eve and go, hey, Adam and Eve, or Eve, okay, poor Eve gets the blame. I'm not a feminist or anything, but... She does really get the blame here. Maybe it was her fault. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But he goes up to Eve and he doesn't say, Eve, hey, do you want to bring sin into the world? Like, do you want to ruin everything? Hey, Eve, do you want to like destroy paradise and like um, be the cause of a lot of people going to hell? Like, is that what you want to do, Eve? He has a nice apple. He didn't do that, right? He said, Eve, you should eat from this apple. It's going to be good for you. You know what, Eve? This apple will make you like God. You'll be like God. You'll be so helpful. You'll understand the difference between good and evil. You'll actually be this great person. He, he painted it in a pretty picture so it didn't look so bad, right? And that's often what the devil will do. So we don't even recognize the lie. Are you with me? If you are going to be able to call out a lie, you need to be in God's word, you need to be hanging around other Christians. You need to have friends that can call it out. You know, we always talk about view group. Why? Because, again, those are your friends that are going to say to you, that's a weird thought. That's a weird thought, Leanne. You're going like, yeah, oh, I really think this is from God. Nah, I don't think God would tell you to do that. You know, your, your, maybe your friend at work who doesn't go to church goes, yeah, I bet you that was God. God's so cool. They haven't been to church in their life. They think there's like five gods, you know, and, and you're listening to them. But your friend at View Group will say, Leanne, that doesn't sound like something God would say to you. Are you with me? 
That's why we tell you, get in a circle. Have some friends that can speak into your life, that can help you and say, Ooh, I don't think that's from God. So you need to be in God's Word. You need to have the right friends, the right company. You need to have people speaking into your life so you can actually go, flip, that's not the truth. I'm not letting that thought in. And now I'm going to fight it with God's Word. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 7, talks about the armor of God. Did you guys touch on that last week at Malpas? Okay, so we're just going to briefly, I'm just going to read through it quickly. Um, from verse 1, it's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you can stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I want to read verse 17 again. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God's Word is powerful. God Himself likens it to a sword. Okay? Now, of course, we're going to be looking at all the armor of God while we talk about not letting the enemy have a seat at our table because we need all the armor of God. And I've said this to you guys. I try to do this every morning. Again, one of those things when I was little, I was like, geez, is this weird, you know, when your parents first teach you it? No, it's not weird. For me now, it's so normal. I wake up in the morning in my quiet time. I go, God, I'm putting on the shoes of readiness. I'm putting on the belts of truth. I'm taking the sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith, the blessed pain of righteousness, and I thank you that I have the helmet of salvation. I just say it, I claim it, and then I go into my day. That's all it is, but I know what it means. I know what every one of those things stand for. Do you know what they all stand for? Do you? We're going to be teaching you over the next couple of weeks, but they're powerful, and you don't want to go into your day without them. You don't want to go without the shoes of readiness. You don't want to go without the breastplate of righteousness. Because you know what? The breastplate of righteousness covers your heart and actually reminds you that you're not saved because of your good works. You're saved because Jesus died on the cross in your place. And if you don't remember that every day, you're going to feel condemned. You're going to feel less than, right? Or you're going to feel ungrateful. You're going to be like, oh, my life sucks when you hit a red, when you hit four red robots or when load shedding comes. You feel like a victim. And you forget that you're wearing a blessed pair of righteousness because Jesus died on the cross for you. So actually, you're really blessed. Hey? And load shedding's not that bad. You guys are not agreeing with me, hey? You really don't like load shedding. I know you all have inverters, most of you, hey? But are you with me? You need to know what it means, but you also need to put it on. The helmet of salvation. I just go, God, I'm putting on the helmet of salvation. 
that is protection over my mind. I'm going, this mind belongs to God. And when the thoughts come, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm filtering my thoughts like at a toll gate. Is this a godly thought? Can I let it in? Or am I going to push it away and bind it in Jesus' name? That helmet protects my mind from the enemy just chucking rubbish in there. Amen? But then the sword of the Spirit, I think it's the most powerful weapon we have. You're picking up the sword. You're saying, I'm taking God's Word. I'm not going into today without God's Word. Because you know what? The thing with the sword, it is the only piece of armor, this always blows my mind, that you can attack with and you can defend with. Have you ever gone into a fight with a breastplate? I'm going to win this fight with my breastplate. No, it's stupid, right? Or you've gone into a fight with a helmet, just a helmet. And if you're a boxer, maybe, I don't know, you need gloves, eh? Shows you how much I know about boxing. But with a sword, you're dangerous, aren't you? With a sword, you can defend yourself and you can attack, right? So when you've got the Word of God in your life, you can defend the enemy's lies and you can attack. Are you with me, church? It's powerful. God's Word is powerful. You need to be claiming His promises. You need to be reading His Word. This is the crazy thing. We're invited to this huge feast. God's saying, I'm preparing a table for you amongst your enemies. I'm going to show off. But we're so busy, we don't have time to sit at the table. We actually just pop in on a Sunday and grab some takeaways. Come on, we've all done it. I'm going to grab some takeaways. I'm not going to sit at the table and actually dig into the Word and read it and get it into me and spend time in God's presence. I'll pitch up at church once a week and get my takeaways. But He's got a table set for you and Him in the presence of your enemies. And you just need to give Him time. Amen? The King of the universe wants to sit with you and me. You know, my daughter just went to Rise Camp. I love Saki and Kaya and Kayla so much because of what they mean to my kids. And I, and I see the change in my girls after going on a camp. Shame Zara had mumps and so she couldn't go, but Juliana got to go. And she's been in God's presence and she's come back. And so her and I were talking about quiet times. And again, I'm convicted again because I'm teaching her. Okay, Juliana, this is, she said, Mom, how did you have quiet times? And we were going through it. And anyway, I'm teaching her, Juliana, first, get into God's presence. Worship God first. Why? Because the Bible says when you worship God, you enter into His presence. Okay, praise and worship takes you into His presence. So worship, right? Then pray, part your heart to God. Then read His Word, get it in your spirit, memorize it, and then write down what God's taught you. So the first time, she says, Mom, can you do it with me? This is actually before camp, if I'm perfectly honest. We did it together before camp the first time. And doing it with her, I mean, this is also just how good God is. She has to make a really big decision for next year. And I said to her, this is not a decision you make lightly, Juliana. This has to be God's will for your life, okay? So you need to pray and ask God, what is God's will? Mommy and Daddy are going to pray because you're 11, so we're not going to let you make life-altering decisions on your own. But you're going to pray, we're going to pray, we want God's will, okay? So 
her and I, in the quiet time, we're praying about this big decision. And then we read this together. This is our verse, Jeremiah 33. This is what the Lord says. He who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it. The Lord is His name. He says, call to me and I will answer you. I'll tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. She's praying, God, show me what I need to do. Show me what the right thing is. Talk to me about my future. And then God tells her this. Call to me and I'm going to answer you. I'm going to show you great and unsearchable things. Do you know how excited she got and I got? And then that hunger to read the Bible just stirs up. Because God's there. He wants to speak to her. And then the verse ends, in verse 6, the piece of chapter, it goes, and I'll bring health and I'll bring healing and my, and I will, my people will enjoy abundant peace and security. God's just saying to her, Juliana, I've got this. Don't worry. She maybe doesn't have the answer 100%, but she knows that God knows exactly where He wants her and she's going to have peace and security. What a cool thing for an 11-year-old to experience for her almost 40-year-old mom to experience. But you know what? She could have just had, she could have a takeaway experience or she could have a feast in God's presence. We all have a choice. And we took her Bible, I bought her a teen Bible. If you're a parent, buy your kid a Bible. Invest in a nice teen Bible. It's a bit, we were highlighting, we were writing, we were making notes. Because it's not just a book, it's her sword. It's your sword. It's your weapon. You defend and you attack. You take ground. The Bible said, blessed is she who believes that the Lord will do what He has said He will do. Where has He said He'll do things? In His Word. If you believe His Word, He's promising you a blessing. So if Juliana wakes up and goes, God, you've promised me that if I call to you, you will answer me. God's saying, I'll bless you. She's taking ground. Are you with me? She's moving forward. God's promising her a blessing. It's powerful, guys. The Bible also says, if you do not throw away your confidence, it will be richly rewarded. So when you wake up and say, God, your word says that I'm the head and not the tail. It's going to be a good day. God, your word says, I am favored. Thank you that I'm actually going to get the best position for me today in the sports team or at work or, you know, whatever the situation is. When you've got confidence, God goes, you're blessed. You're taking a step forward. You're advancing. You're attacking with His word, with your sword. You defend the lies and you attack and advance. If you don't have a sword, don't be surprised if an unwelcome guest comes and plops down at your table. Because there is an enemy. We just read about it. There's an enemy. He's prowling around. He wants to take us out, but he's not visible, right? But he's real. So you need your sword to live in peace, to take ground to attack and defend. If you remember anything that I say to you this morning, I want you to remember how powerful God's Word is in your walk. I just want you to bow your heads. Just 
if you are sitting here this morning and you are not in a personal relationship with Jesus, you actually can't use the armor of God. Remember, you only have that authority if you are His child. And you, you become His child by asking Him to be Lord of your life and entering into a relationship with Him. Like my daughters and I, we have a relationship. We talk, we hang out, okay? If you've never gotten into a relationship with God, remember, it's not the same thing. I, I, I could see my daughters once a week. There's a lot of you that see them once a week. It doesn't make them your daughters, does it? They're just people you see. So you can come to church every week, but if you're not in a relationship with God, you don't have that authority to bind lies in Jesus' name. You don't have the power to put on the armor of God. You are being robbed. I want to tell you that you were created by a God who loves you and wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants you to have His armor. He wants you to claim His promises. He wants you to sit at the table with Him. And it's so easy. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I want to be in a relationship with you. Be Lord of my life. And so if you're not in a relationship, maybe you were a long time ago, but now He's just someone that you that you see in the distance. With every head bowed out of respect, I'm going to ask you to boldly put up your hand so I can pray for you when I count to three. Best decision I ever made. Best decision you could ever make. And the reason why I ask you to put up your hand is because Jesus says, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. So with every eye closed, if you want to get into a relationship with Jesus, when I count to three, one, God so loved the world, two, that He gave His one and only Son, three, you can pop your hand up so I can see it. Just pop it up quickly and I can pray for you. I see that hand and I see that hand. That's awesome. Anybody else? Just pop it up so I can see it. And that I can pray for you. That's awesome. Anybody else? You want to go, I want the authority to put on the armor of God. I want to be a child of God. Just pop it up so I can see it. I don't want anyone to miss out. Okay, that's awesome. Can I, can we pray together? Because we are a church family. Can we pray out loud together? Is that cool? You guys are not going to leave me hanging, hey? We're going to pray out loud together. Here we go. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and paying the price for my sins. Today, I ask you to be Lord of my life, to forgive me of my sins. I want to live my life in a relationship with you. I want to know you. I want to know your word. I want to know your promises. And I want to reach the destiny that you have for me. Thank you that the Bible says that now I'm saved and I'm changed and I will never be the same. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's give God a hand.